I'm late. No, you got here right on time. No, I'm late. It's the late show. Sorry, I'm late. You're too late. <laughs> the wizard is never late. Can I help you? Yeah, I, uh, I'm gonna see the show. But not to come late. You are late. You're late, man. Always late, huh? The hour goes late. You're late. I'm not paying for those. But is he already too late to save his friends? You're too late! And I'm like, dude. <laughs> You're not going from Mary Poppins to a savage killer. <laughs> I would say yes, it lives up to the hype. <laughs> what little hype I had for it, it was pretty damn good. Jake, are you really paying 76% of your taxes? Yeah. Because uh, I'm not a big fan of uh, national security and... Uh, I don't remember the other examples. I don't remember the other examples either. Hey, welcome to Late <laughs> to the Show podcast with John and Jake. This week we're talking about Stranger Things. We're the one out of one million movie podcasts on the internet, but we're diamonds in the rough. Yes, please Maybe. listen to us. <laughs> uh, thank Nick you, Andrew. And apparently now Andrew. <laughs> and yeah, Nick Rosenblum. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, Nick Rosenblum, Andrew Laudacino. Mm-hmm. Not Nick and Andrew Laudacino. <laughs> Nick so thanks, Nick. For, though Nick, if you do listen, thanks for being on that one time. I'll let you <laughs> figure out which Nick I'm talking to. He actually did listen to the podcast that he was on? <clears throat> yes. Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. I'm eating food, and so is John. Yeah, John's I'm, I'm eating snacking combos. a noisy food. Now, I meant the bag, but thanks for the ASMR. Yeah, that's enough of that. Anyways. And um but uh Nick did listen to the podcast, the Superman one, and he said it was really fun listening to it on YouTube with the closed captions that are auto generated for it. So and I listened to it a little bit. It doesn't do a good job. It just fucks up a lot of stupid shit. Oh, I need to check this out. <laughs> he said it's a good time listening to it with the closed captions on. So I wonder if he was at work and was just like watching the closed captions and then trying to piece together what the story was. <laughs> but it was probably an even more interesting story than a Nicolas Cage Superman <laughs> directed by Tim Burton. I don't know. But that's not what we're talking about today. <laughs> today, we are talking about Stranger Than Fiction. The Will Ferrell dramedy from 2006. From... Little people know about it. Few people know about it. But go. I'm sure there are some little people who do know about it. Uh, from what I understand, Jake, this is your favorite movie ever? Uh, you know, um, so I actually talked about this movie recently on another podcast, the podcast being um, The Scene That Got You with Dylan Hatcher, and uh, <clears throat> and then I figured, hey, I'm not too into effort, why don't I just, uh, why don't we cop this movie also and do it for our podcast? Perfect. So, here's to phoning it in. Today we're talking about Stranger Than Fiction. <laughs> Which, back to the regularly scheduled way this podcast works, I have not seen before this. Ah, yes, yes. <laughs> a lot of people haven't seen this movie, though. Like, uh, in film school, mm-hmm. when you do all the orientation, say something about yourself, or say your favorite movie. I would say this one, and I would get no reaction from the audience. Everyone else says Jaws, and they go, ooh, with the shark, or they'll do the fucking... In the crowd, it's like, all right, all right, all right. I do Stranger Than Fiction, and everyone just gets quiet. <laughs> so, that feels good. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but, but also brave of them for saying fucking Jaws is their favorite movie. But <laughs> Dude, it was the first time that Vertigo, Zoom In, or Dolly In had ever been done. The, the Vertigo, Dolly, Zoom In. 
Yeah. First time it ever happened was in Jaws. No, that's just not what in it's Vertigo. Known for. That's what it was known for. That's how it got taught to me in film no. history. See, and when I learned about it, and you learned what, about it in Vertigo. Yeah, I learned about it from Vertigo. I haven't seen Vertigo, so I didn't know they did it. I just—it's why it's called Vertigo. That makes sense. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. I just thought it's like because it kind of gives you that weird Vertigo feeling, but that makes sense that it was done in Vertigo. Yeah. No. Hitchcock used that a lot in that movie. But again, that's not what we're talking about today. <laughs> we keep getting off track already. You know what? I don't even think they use it once in Stranger Than Fiction, if Probably I'm being honest not. with you. <laughs> no, I don't think so. All right. So, but yes, like you said, this is one of my favorite movies. In mm. fact, after I watched it with Dylan for the podcast, I watched it again with Kate. And I kind of felt like watching it again, but I couldn't bring myself to watch it three times. Why not? Because Will Ferrell doesn't like things being told to him three times in Austin Powers 2. Fair point. <laughs> now, uh, since you're the person who's seen it, would you like to describe what this movie's about? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> just uh, in case I drop some stupid-ass spoilers, spoiler alert. This came. This movie came out in 2006. It's 13 years old. If you haven't seen it by now, you're just close your ears for a little bit. We'll tell you when to come back. <laughs> it's not too late to see it, though. Go watch it. It's Pause still this. good. Um. Yeah, I think I was told it's also free on Vudu and some other places. By I the way, I paid four dollars for it on Amazon. Ten or on Blu-ray. I or three dollars. Three. One of my favorite movies. I never owned it. So, anyways, but what's it about? The plot to Stranger Than Fiction is <clears throat> so Will Ferrell is the main character. He plays a character named uh, Harold Crick, and uh, one day. So he's uh, an accountant, or no, IRS he's, agent. He's an IRS auditor. Auditor. Agent. Um, <clears throat> he's very much about numbers, very routine, <coughs> uh, strict way of living his life, kind of a lone, not kind of, very much a loner, eats alone, gets up alone, goes to sleep alone. In that order. Or yes. not. But one day he notices while brushing all 32 of his teeth 74 times, Seventy-eight like times. Think seventy-eight. <laughs> um, he notices that someone is narrating his life to him. He can hear a narration of his life, and uh, <clears throat> he doesn't. He's trying to figure out like where it's coming from. He's asking other people if they hear a voice when he's doing certain things, like filing at work. And his friend Dave just really doesn't get it. Actually, reports him to Human Resources. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, and he just kind of thinks there's something off. He may be crazy. He's not sure. However, one day while waiting for the bus, he is told that um, when his watch turns off and he resets it, that this simple, innocuous task will lead to his untimely death. Imminent death. Imminent death. Not untimely. Imminent death. And that freaks him out big time. So that's when he starts going to a therapist who tells him he has schizophrenia, which he refuses that he has. <laughs> so instead, he goes to a literary expert. The voice telling him to do stuff. It's telling him about stuff he's already done. <laughs> um, <clears throat> voiced by the lady who looks like Edna Mode from The Incredibles. That's the therapist. Yeah, she yeah. very much looks yes. like Edna Mode. Oh, I was saying that's not... <clears throat> the narrator is not... Oh, right, no. Like mode. Uh, for anyone who's uh, interested, the narrator is Emma Thompson, who was also Mrs. Potts in the live-action Beauty and the Beast. Hmm. But, um, and she has an interesting side story, too, with Queen Latifah. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so there's actually several side stories in this. There's the story with Harold, first of all. 
there's a story with the author of the book being written about Harold, who is also the narrator in his mind that he can hear, yep. which is played by Emma Thompson. There's the side story with um, the lady driving the bus mm-hmm. and the little boy on the bike. Yep. Uh, those two stories are very much on the side. They just kind of come in and out of the film and kind of wonder how they're playing into it. You kind of see them in um, uh, daydreams of different characters, or actually of the author even yep. more so. But they exist. And uh, so it just kind of leads through Will Ferrell trying to... F- figure out how to prevent his death while realizing he's not really living his life. Yes. Right. And that kind of comes into play when he starts talking to Dustin Hoffman, the literary expert. And when he starts auditing Maggie Gyllenhaal's character. Anna Pascal. Yes. Uh, Yeah. And then he realizes, well, he's attracted to her from the beginning, but um, let's just say it's an odd couple situation. Yes. She... Mm Very much does not like him. <laughs> well, that and also their just personalities are very different. She's a uh, messy is... type of person who likes to uh, do things her own way, and Harold is and stick like it we've to the said, man. Yeah, she is very stick it to the man, and Harold is the man. He yeah. <laughs> he does everything by routine and by numbers and by what he believes to be right. Yes, not really thinking about what he wants or what makes him happy. He just is. Going through the motions of life. Because this is what I'm supposed to do, so I'm just going to do it. And uh, I'll just let you, uh, I'll just ask you, what did you think of the movie? I really enjoyed it. Um, Again, as I think I mentioned in the last podcast or afterwards or something, that uh, this movie is first off a lot more recent than I thought it was. Because when I started working two years after it came out, I was already (laughs) seeing it like in the bargain bin at the... uh, at the grocery store that I worked at. Um, so I was thinking, you know, first off, thought it was older than it was. And second off, like, I just kind of had no interest in it. Like, it was an interesting premise, I'll say, but I was just like, eh, don't think I want to watch it, though. Hmm. Um, but yeah, no, after watching, I really enjoyed it. I wasn't really sure how it was going to go, how it was going to play out or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond the obvious, like, he's his life is being narrated because he's a character in a book mm-hmm. that's being written. And yeah, it was it was really interesting seeing the intersection between that and the author and like all the little stories and just how it all ended up kind of meshing and coming together at the end. I thought it was a really it was a really nice story. Yeah. Yeah. Um <clears throat> are there any kind of uh cuz this movie it plays a lot into literature and literary devices and yep. Like especially because it's about a character in a book, but his actual life, and you have to figure out where the parallels are and how um, he's kind of creating his own story, mm-hmm. even though he's breaking away from how he was. But that's yeah. what was written about that's him what's anyway. Being written about him. Were there any kind of uh, certain maybe metaphors you picked up on that moves the plot of the movie forward? Because now watching like, it so many times, there are some things I started to pick up on. Where the first time I watched it, I just liked the story. Yes. But now I pick up on some of the more technical things that move the story along that are, really make it interesting. Yeah, I think yeah, I think this is one that would definitely benefit from an extra watch or two uh, to pick up on things like that. Because I didn't immediately pick up on them when I watched it the first time. Mm-hmm. Or the only time at the, right now. Um, but... Uh, 
No, it was re- like, and I really kind of liked it, and I thought it was really interesting, like, when uh, the literary professor played by Dustin Hoffman was, uh, he had, like, the 26 questions, and like, like, I know these are going to sound silly. Just <laughs> Your answer them. Your candor is paramount. <laughs> Were you stitched together from other dead bodies? <laughs> this is, like, one of the first questions he asks him. Aren't you relieved to know that you're not a golem? <laughs> yes. I am relieved to know that I am not a golem. <laughs> All right. Do you have any magical powers? <laughs> And just kind of like how that, and with how the payoff of the story ends up, you know, what the the, the payoff of the story is, kind of, it makes it interesting too, thinking back that he was even asking him those questions, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Um, again, not seeking to spoil it too much for a 13-year-old movie, but. <laughs> <clears throat> well, it's funny because, I mean. It sounds all sounds ridiculous, but if you look at the edit through the eyes of a you know Dustin Hoffman's character at that point, none of those questions are ridiculous. You're talking to a man who very well could be crazy, yeah. so why not ask any of these questions? Yeah, who knows what answer he could give? Or yeah, I've killed thirteen people. <laughs> or what? what? <laughs> oh. Now you're in an awkward conversation with a serial killer. <laughs> uh, Tom Segura credited. Uh, we don't want to steal any of your jokes, but. Um, I, uh, on Dylan's podcast, the scene that got you, I said the scene that got me in that was probably the scene where he drops off bags of quote unquote flowers to, uh, Anna Pascal. Mm-hmm. But having rewatched it again, and I, I, the scene, the podcast is called The Scene That Got You, but I still was stupid and felt like I was put on the spot because I couldn't think of, like a really big scene that got me, even though I do really like that scene. But one I really like is uh, after Harold is told that uh, his imminent death is upon him, he goes back to his apartment and he's trying to engage the voice again so he can learn more. He's freaked out. He's terrified. Yeah. And he starts breaking everything in his apartment. He's looking around for the voice. He's trying to figure out if there's like cameras watching him or anything. And he's narrating it as he goes. <laughs> right. Well, one of the funnier <clears throat> parts is um, where he grabs the lamp. Harold furiously shook the hell out of his lamp. <laughs> and then he started breaking it and kicking it. <laughs> but the scene where uh, he rips all the clothes out of his claws and he looks at the mirror and he's yelling, Say something! Mm-hmm. I really like that scene because it's... When he cuts from the wide of him and like him and his reflection to just the reflection, right? Where he finally <coughs> looks at himself in the mirror because all of his all of the things he does has been called out to his face. It's been told to him. This is what you're doing, and you're gonna die. It's the culmination of all of that. Is that right? Culmination. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, all of that hits him in that moment while he's looking at himself, and he realizes he's not happy. He's gonna die. He's just living his life, blah, 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 going through the motions. Yeah. And I really like that scene because I think that's the big moment. Well, I mean, obviously he's been trying to figure out what's happening from that point. But that's at the point where he starts going out and trying to figure out what's going on with him. Yeah. And that's kind of a big point for a lot of people when they're about to, uh, when they become self-aware and they're about to make serious life changes for themselves if they live an unhappy life. Mm-hmm. Where you kind of look at yourself in the mirror, quote unquote, and decide to do something about it. Yeah, I really like that part of the movie. Yeah, that was, I would honestly say one of my favorite moments. And I know it's kind of big, but it was like, 
it really kind of marked the start of his transition when he finally decided he was going to learn how to play the guitar. Mm-hmm. And he was at the guitar shop, and the narrator was narrating the guitars he saw and everything. <laughs> right. And it finally, t- it took him a while to find the guitar that he felt was right for him. Mm-hmm. I just, I really liked that scene because, like, that was like, it was self-reflective. It was. Again, it was really kind of that turning point at this point. He had moved in or was bunking with his friend while his apartment was being repaired. Um, and it just kind of was like really that turning point where he's decided it's like, I'm going to start doing stuff for myself for making myself happy. Right. Um, was that bit in the guitar shop. Right. And uh, <clears throat> this movie really doesn't delve in too deep into Harold's backstory. It just kind of starts when he's probably in his like mid late thirties or something. And he's been an IRS agent for a long time. But what you can kind of grab from it is maybe that, um, like as a child, his dreams were kind of put on hold for whatever reason. He's never like been super adventurous or he's never really wanted to tackle anything outside the realm of what he thought could be possible. Mm. And that's kind of what you get out of (coughs) what's informed him to be the way he is now and uh so i kind of like the idea that it takes him a minute to break him down to say well i've always kind of wanted to play the guitar and i think that's a really interesting thing that he's never even tried to do which most people do try to do but i i don't know i since you don't get any like actual concrete uh information about what his childhood was like that's Mm. kind of the childhood i build in my mind that his parents were very much like don't even worry about that. You're, that's a pipe dream of anything. I mean, there's no point in doing anything creative or whatever. You yeah. just, just you, you be a, a fucking auditor or an accountant because that's a solid job and that's what you're gonna need in this world to survive. Exactly. That that's going off of that. That's definitely more what I felt was like. It was less that he was told don't be creative. It was more that it was forced down the path of you got to get the good grades, you've got to go to college, you have to get a job that pays well. You know, you, this, these are the things that equal a good life. Right. Um, which is where, you know, how he ends up living alone, being so meticulous about everything, mm-hmm. living everything according to his wristwatch. Right. Um, By the way, are you, do you normally say wristwatch or are you <coughs> saying it because that's the way uh, because that's English a, person says wristwatch? That, because that's how it was said in the movie a bunch. <laughs> no, I would normally just say watch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like anyone carries a fucking pocket watch anymore. A watch just means a wristwatch. I just think it's funny because I do that too. Yeah. I'll pick up on someone saying it like that and then I'll start saying it like that. But, um, yeah. <clears throat> I just, like I said, out of all the scenes that got me, the Anna Pascal Flowers one is a great one. But the one where he looks at himself in the mirror and he notices, or not notices, but he kind of comes to the realization that he is living an unhappy life and he doesn't like or he's afraid of his death yeah. because now it, he's never probably never even thought about it but now it's been literally told to him it's gonna you're happen. gonna die <laughs> imminently. imminently you don't even know when it's gonna happen oh god that was another line i really liked when uh, he dustin hoffman wants to reschedule and he's like all right come back and meet me on friday no she said imminent you could be dead by friday come in tomorrow <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 10 seconds ago you said you weren't even gonna help me it's been a very revealing 10 seconds, Harold. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Dustin Hoffman's character is great in this movie. Yes. He's really funny. Um, <clears throat> I even like some of the editing uh, choices in this movie, just mm-hmm. to kind of break away from what I was talking about before. 
But you notice it when uh, Dustin Kaufman's character is introduced. He's a very fast paced. He's trying to get as much information from Harold as possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's talking quick. He's asking Harold a lot of questions. And you notice that um, with all the cuts that they do, they do very frequent cuts during his scenes, Mm -hmm. or at least during that first scene where he's introduced. And also um, through certain choices where uh, his character puts down coffee. And he's getting it refilled at that little coffee machine. Yeah. And he pulls the coffee away before it's even done refilling. Just certain things like that I think are really interesting. Yeah. No, I... Just to build upon his character. This is coming from a guy who's trying to write a short film. <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah, that's the sort of stuff that I did not pick up on oh, either okay. the first time through. But um, I did like, too, like how quick he was at assessing Harold, mm-hmm. too, though. Like, he knew he was counting his steps, he knew he was counting the stairs and everything, and Harold kept telling him he wasn't, but he's like, okay. Well, so, <clears throat> speaking of editing technique and that, uh, you notice how there's a lot of, like, the graph lines and numbers constantly flowing yep. on screen, at least at the beginning of the movie. As the movie progresses, they start to fade away because they stop being as important to Harold. However, um, you don't see that during the scene where they're walking up the stairs and they're first talking, mm-hmm. but then once... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, his name is Jules. Well, Dustin, Dustin Hoffman, Hoffman anyway. Yeah. <laughs> when uh, Dustin Hoffman asks him, uh, "Were you counting the stairs out there?" Uh, Harold's like, "No, I wasn't." And then he asks him. He puts his hand out and starts waving for his coffee. And then Harold moves the coffee towards him. And then the numbers come back onto screen. And yep. then he starts measuring the soaps and the soap dispensers again. Also. Yep. So it's kind of like it reminded Harold. That he does count numbers. Or maybe it's like some kind of weird uh, self-conscious thing where he feels it's being expected of him. So then his brain starts working it again. Yeah. So that's another good technique that really does put you in Harold's perspective anyway. Well, I mean, if we're going off of that again, having only seen it the one time, I didn't sit and really try to analyze. I just tried to absorb the the movie as it was coming at me. Mm -hmm. Because between him finding out about his death and... I suppose that scene would have been the next time those started happening again. You could tell that Harold was far more preoccupied with the fact that he was about to die than uh, <laughs> than worrying about having to count those things. It's like, I've got to figure out what the fuck is going on. Right. Because I mean, then it's when... really where you see the breakdown of the um, character that he's introduced as. Yeah. Because he's yelling and screaming and stuff. As opposed to when he's first introduced, he's very mild-mannered, and he's just kind of is quick to brush off the voice that he's hearing. Well, and the narrator even says he's a man of few words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, the numbers thing where it kind of is, it comes back to him like he's reminded <coughs> of it, and you start seeing it on screen again. I didn't <clears> even <throat> notice that either. Dylan told me about that. So then when I rewatched it after that, I looked for it, and I, sure enough, that's how it happened. Yeah. Which I hadn't noticed before, but I thought was pretty interesting. It's just a good uh, way to show perspective, I think. Yeah. And the character's kind of mental state. Right, right. And yeah, like you said, um, where he's more preoccupied with what's happening to him as opposed to the world around him. Yeah. Because hmm. then, cause, I mean, they come back in force when he's auditing... Um, Anna. Anna pa- uh, Pascal. If it's easier for you, you can say the actors' names. Yeah, I was. I've seen but, the movie more times, so I know. Yeah. <laughs> Except for fucking uh, Dustin Hoffman's name, it's Professor. We're on IMDb. You want to just scroll down? All right, Professor. It's Professor H. Uh, uh, what the fuck? The hell is it? 
These are in weird order. How is Dustin Hoffman not within the first 20? Oh, it's uh, the way this works, actually, from what I understand, is uh, based on search on IMDb. Jules Hilbert, that's what his name is. Are you telling me Dustin Hoffman doesn't get searched as often as Helen Young, bakery customer number one? <laughs> Again, this is just what I understood one, at one point to be how IMDb did it, all right? <laughs> all right. Well, Jules Hilbert, that's uh, Dustin Hoffman's name in the movie. Professor yes. Hilbert is what he's mostly called. Yep. Um, I lost my fucking train of thought. Oh, oh uh, when, he, when the graphics start coming back in force, when he's back in the zone of... You know, auditing and like he's like, this is my lane. This is what I know. Right. Um. But really, I think that's about one of the last times you really see those graphics. Because then, right after that scene is when she offers him the cookie and then like tries to give him the cookies as a gift, but then he wants to buy them from her because he can't as an IRS auditor. Right. Um, like, and then you actually start seeing the numbers transition to, instead of actually counting numbers, they start turning into her name instead, because that's what's on his mind. Did you notice that? No. When he's brushing his teeth, he starts, it starts counting, and that turns to symbols, and then it spells out Anna instead. I'm trying, I'm... I think it's actually after they're on the bus together, and he apologizes for looking at her boobs. And he has kind of like a little flirty moment with her. Do you remember that scene? Mm, Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think I remember seeing her name pop up in one of the graphics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, he starts brushing his teeth at that point because he's thinking, oh, maybe there's something here. Maybe there's also another <laughs> part of the movie where um, Jules Hilbert tells uh, uh, Harold that his life is either a comedy or a tragedy. Like the story of his life that's being narrated mm. to him. So he needs to find out if it's a tragedy, he's going to die, or if it's a comedy, he gets hitched. So he kind of starts really investing his time in Anna first to maybe save his life and maybe he can turn this around into a love story. Yep. Because he has this kind of like flirty moment with her on the bus where he does apologize to her for the way he's behaved and for the fact that he's auditing the shit out of her. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, I, I found it interesting because I feel like... Because Harold is obviously more of a uh, mathematic kind of guy, not so much the language arts type right. of guy. And despite the fact that, like, you know, he described it's like, or uh, Professor Hilbert, Hilbert uh, <laughs> Professor Hoffman described, uh, um, it's like, you know, it's, it's you're going to meet somebody who hates you, and then it's all going to work out great in the end. Right. And it's like, but you look at the notebook where it was tallying comedy or tragedy, it's like there was three ticks to comedy and he filled the <laughs> entire page of tragedy. Right. Despite the fact that he was literally just told... That person's going to hate you. Mm-hmm. And like, because I remember the way when I took some like English class in high school or some shit, the way comedy versus tragedy was explained to me was comedy is f- low fortune to high fortune. Tragedy is high fortune to low fortune. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's starting at kind of the low fortune spot. He knows he's going to die. He has to audit this person who hates him and all this stuff. So like... He, the, really, the only direction he was supposed to be able to go would have been up. Right, in but in his context. mind, tragedy is just being dead. Because he, yeah. he never was really uh, self-aware that his life was, you know, boring or maybe considered not a good life. Yeah. Until he's being told that he's going to die. So his worst nightmare is just death. Yep. So he does think that tragedy is 
way downhill for him. Yeah, that's true. Which is interesting that he doesn't have the life perspective to say, oh, like, it, it can get way better than this. Hmm. Which I also thought was funny because uh, <clears throat> Hilbert tells him, uh, your best life could maybe be eating pancakes all day if you wanted to. Yeah. He's like, who would choose pancakes over life? And he's like, I think you're ignoring the fact that that's based on the quality of the pancakes. So it's the quality of life, not just the fact that you have life. Yes, quality over quantity. Correct a mundo. Um, <clears throat> as as uh, uh, Fluffy once said in one of his comedy specials it's like uh, when it was talking about having to lose weight so he's like don't you want to you know live till you're 80 and he's like not if i can't eat cake <laughs> <laughs> um i lost the train of thought i was on getting to this no 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 it wasn't you uh getting to the comedy tragedy thing <clears throat> um let's kind of progress through the movie a little bit uh We've talked about Dustin Hoffman's character. Uh, what do you think of Maggie Gyllenhaal's character in this movie? She was fine. Uh, so I, the movie didn't focus on her as much as like I thought it was going to at the beginning. It was a lot. Uh, so a lot more Dustin Hoffman in that movie I felt than I did Maggie Gyllenhaal. So oh really? That's how I felt anyways. I thought oh, okay. I thought I saw Professor Hilbert way more. Hmm. Um, but. Uh, no, I thought she was a good foil for uh, Will Ferrell. Holy shit, I couldn't remember his name. Um, <laughs> the curly-haired guy. Yeah. that uh, Yells really loud in all of his elf. movies now. <laughs> Buddy the Elf. Anyone yeah. remember him? Um, anyways, I thought she made a good foil for Will Ferrell's character. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, again, I think she was fine. I think she was good in the role. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I felt the movie didn't do... As much with her as probably it did. It was just how I felt on my first pass through. I'm just like, oh, we're seeing not a lot of Maggie Gyllenhaal in this for being the love interest of the story. Right. Well, I I like how at first it's his catalyst for change. Mm. Where he kind of looks at her as maybe like a get out of jail free card in a way. He's like, maybe if I can turn this into uh, me and her getting together, my life will be a comedy and I won't die. Yeah. Where he was, like, kind of, at first, he just noticed that he was sexually attracted to her. Until, um, but it wasn't until he realized, like, his, a desire he's always had was maybe to play guitar. That's when his life really started to change, like you said earlier. Yeah. So, I like how she kind of stops being his reason for changing. Mm. And he, she kind of becomes more of, like... Part of the change. Right, exactly. Um... Because you shouldn't just be with someone just because you just think to they're going to make your life better. Yes. I mean, that's one reason to be with someone, but that shouldn't be the only reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially a complete stranger, basically. Right. Um, so once he's changed his life and he's kind of turned his life into a life worth living, one that he enjoys, he kind of knows what it takes to spend time with someone and enjoy that time with someone. Yes. And not piss them off every day, every minute of the day. <laughs> yeah, because what the first time... Or the flower scene was after he had started uh, playing the guitar. Right. It was after the montage of um, his life getting better or him living a life he wanted to. Yeah. Because, again, he was living with his friend and, like, the narrator said it's, like, for the first time in his life he, you know, he there was somebody, you know, even if it was just a roommate, there was somebody who was... 
He never Friends ate with. alone again. Yeah, he didn't eat alone again. He didn't wake up alone again or anything <laughs> like that. Not that they slept in the same bed, but, but they yeah. were in the same apartment. <laughs> yes. That's why I prefaced with the, even if it's just a roommate, because I was going to get to the, <laughs> didn't wake up alone again. Right. He had some communal interaction with yes. people. Outside of just going to an office that he hates. Yes. Also, real quick, complete aside from all of that, uh-huh. the two guys from the Sonic commercial yes. <laughs> were in this because I, I realized would... this forever, like not forever ago, like maybe five years ago, which was still like <clears throat> 11 years after the movie came out. Yeah, I was like, when they first were there, I'm like, why are they so fucking familiar? <laughs> and then about halfway through, I'm like, they're the guys from the Sonic commercial. And they're always pictured together. There's not one without the other, which is even weirder. Yeah. Um, I kind of looked it up a little bit. I didn't dive too deep into it. They're like an improv duo. Mm. So I'm wondering if they knew Will Ferrell from back in the day, because Will Could Ferrell be. was an improv guy. Bef- I mean, obviously from Saturday Night Live. Yeah. But uh, he was Groundlings. I don't know if maybe they were Groundlings out in L.A. No idea. So I, I don't know if that's why they're in the movie. But, I mean, they're a duo, so apparently there's not one without the other. I was going to say, it explains why they're in shit together all the time. <laughs> Uh, except the dude with black hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was not in the movie uh, Get Hard with Will Ferrell. Okay. But the other guy was in Get Hard with Will Ferrell. He played a gay guy who tried to get Will Ferrell to suck his dick in the bathroom, I think. And then he oh, started talking to uh, Kevin Hart over uh, Skype a lot. <laughs> okay. I didn't see Get Hard. A small little plot to the movie, but he's in that movie. The blonde okay. guy from the Sonic commercials, everybody. The blonde guy who's losing his hair. Yes. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, but yeah, guy, it did blow my mind guys. that they were in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and then they're also uh, waiting for the bus when Harold is told that he's going to die. <laughs> so yes. he's yelling into the sky. <laughs> One quick thing. That was another part of the movie I liked. Why do you keep looking behind me? Is there something going on? No. I'm trying not to chew into the microphone. Oh. <laughs> John is eating buffalo blue cheese combos, everyone. Yep. (laughs) Um, But anyway, uh, the scene where he first is leaving Anna Pascal's place, the bakery. Yep. um, And he goes outside and the voice is, I I don't remember saying something to him. And then he screams at the sky. He's like, shut up! Because he still doesn't know what's going on. And the voice says, Harold cursed the heavens (laughs) in futility at his problems he's like no i'm yelling at you you stupid voice <laughs> yeah uh that's one thing that surprised me about this movie is that it is more of a drama than mm. just an outright talladega nights anchorman level will ferrell comedy yeah because uh like honestly if this movie was made now and will ferrell was at the reins of it or i don't know any of his people were at the reins of this movie i would see it being told as Will Ferrell's voice is being, or life is being narrated to him by a voice. He found the author, and this is what he did. I need you to say that I win the lottery and I become this huge billionaire kind of thing where he just goes off the handles and he's like forcing this author to write this crazy story of his life until it gets yeah. so big that it falls apart or something stupid. I mean, I very that much could probably like this story, too. but I could have seen it going in that route based yeah. on what I know now about a lot of Will Ferrell's movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Not to shit on him, but it's just some of those Whereas, some of the movies aren't for me. Yeah. Whereas this one obviously became my favorite, and it's kind of atypical for uh, I almost said a Will Smith, a Will Ferrell movie. <laughs> this one and um, Everything Must Go. I was gonna say it has a very Everything Must Go feel to it because I have actually seen that one. I haven't seen that one. 
That, um, I think you might enjoy. If you like this one, I think you'll enjoy Everything Must Go. Notorious B.I.G.'s kid is in it, though. He's the black kid. Huh. <laughs> Chris Wallace know. Jr.? I think it's Chris Wallace Jr. I do not know. You've got IMDb right there. <laughs> no. But, um, <laughs> but no, I was thinking, too, it's like, I'm not the biggest fan of Will Ferrell's comedy. Uh-huh. I did not really care for Talladega Nights. I have no desire to see Step Brothers. You haven't even seen Step Brothers? No. You asshole. Now we got to watch that one for this. I, I've got no desire to. Well, um, now I'm going to make well, it so at, well, at the at end of the point. summer. We've got a lot of guest episodes coming up, but Step Brothers is coming. Well, we've got a lot of guests that we want to record with, but... Right. Whether or we not have, that's... We gonna... have not scheduled any of them. <laughs> no, we have not. Anyways, um... I mean, like, I like Elf. Mm-hmm. Love Elf. Um, That's just because you like the MCU. John Favreau directed that one. I did not know that. Did you know John Favreau was in Daredevil? <laughs> yeah. He's the other lawyer. I fucking saw a clip from it the other day. I'm like, holy shit, John Favreau's in Daredevil. Less fat in that movie, actually. A lot younger, too. <laughs> um. Anyways, uh... But no, I really like Will. Fuck, I almost said Will Smith. Oh, thanks. Um, I really like Will Same Ferrell. In, <laughs> I really like Will Ferrell in more dramatic roles, even if it's like a dramedy role. I like him either like that, or I like him in small doses where he's not the main character. Right. Like in, uh, I think it was the other guys where he he's the boss at the mattress store that one of them ends up working at, or is that a different movie? He might become the boss at a mattress store, but I really no, I, I like that movie where him and oh Mark shit Wahlberg no not cops. the other guys not the other guys, um <laughs> what the fuck movie am I thinking of where he's the boss at a mattress store? Because he's not a main character. I forgot the other guys was. That's the Mark Wahlberg like, movie. That one's that, a very good movie. That's though. that one's a good. That's a good Will Ferrell movie. That one. <laughs> um, anyways, there's one where he's like a boss at a at a mattress store that one of the characters ends up working at for a while. Okay. And I thought he was pretty great in that part, but uh, <laughs> no. Beyond that, I mean, like I, I don't know. I'm not the biggest Will Ferrell fan out there, but mm-hmm. Will Ferrell's humor is it's hit and miss for me at this point now, where like. Some of his over-the-top stuff I don't think is funny. Unless it's, like, really characterized. Like, if he's... Okay. Um, I'm sure you haven't seen uh, Eastbound and Down. No. The Danny McBride series on HBO. Nope. He plays a car salesman character Mm -hmm. who's got, like, shoulder-length white feathered hair. Okay. (laughs) He's just a total fucking weirdo. He, like, owns this, like, plantation where he has, like... uh, not Asian slaves, but he has slaves that he makes look like geishas, but they're okay. like white people. <laughs> okay. It's just this crazy, insane weirdo, but he's hilarious in that show. But, and then if I watch like Get Hard, he's like playing a normal guy who's Loud being outrageous. outrageous and obnoxious, and that doesn't make me laugh nearly as much. Yeah. Where I almost kind of see through it, and it's like, oh, you're just. You're riffing right now, and this is the section that they used in the movie because they thought it was funny. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. Yeah, right. Just like, but Will Ferrell's comedy is being loud. <laughs> at this point, it is. It feels like because movies like Elf did so well. Yeah. Because it was. Because he was supposed to basically kind of be a child, somewhat. right? Yeah. yeah. An excitable child. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, this movie where, because, it. I would almost call this more of a, 
I don't know. Would you call this a drama or a comedy? I mean, it's obvious a mix of both, but would you call what would you say is more abundant? I would say it's closer to a drama. Okay. Like if we're putting it like on a scale of 1 to 10, where 10 is dramatic, 1 is comedic. Mm-hmm. I would put it at like a 7. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um <clears throat> and then it gives him more of an opportunity to be funny in a way that's like situational and more so witty in writing and realistic right where his uh performance does need to capture like what makes it funny Mm. but it's not outrageous and ridiculous yeah and like when he the couple of like the scene you mentioned where he like yells up at the voice for it when he leaves the shop right he's yelling because he's angry and frustrated at like essentially god at that at (laughs) at that time essentially god right um whereas in like yeah and a lot of the other things like any mild inconvenience basically is like <laughs> if he stubbed loud, his toe loud and screaming <laughs> but uh yeah this movie kind of really showed me that like will ferrell is a good actor in general yeah absolutely like he can pull off a like serious type role and stuff mm. but he's still funny nonetheless yeah, because this movie is funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, like a lot of the humor parts are <clears throat> what make me enjoy it because I'm a huge fan of comedy in the first place. But yeah, the story of this movie is what really gets me and his transformation and stuff from mild mannered to and he's still mild mannered. He's just more in touch with what he wants at yeah, that point. He's actually living his life more uh, to its fullest than right before. Uh, do we want to spoil the ending? And uh... Uh, let's talk about that in a minute because we'll okay. talk about um, the way the author writes the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we've Karen barely touched Eiffel. Yeah. So yeah, I actually want to move to that. Let's talk about Karen Eiffel and her inter- her um, relationship with Queen Latifah's character Penny, the assistant, yep. and uh, her relationship with Harold, and even yeah. Hilbert. Which is kind of interesting too, yeah. Because it's subtly referenced that uh, Professor Hilbert really loves Karen Eiffel's work, yep. and he's written her letters about how much he enjoys her work. He actually taught a class on her work, and then like towards the end of the movie, when Harold actually meets her, Spo- that that's kind of the big twist is that Harold is not just a book character, right? He's actually he, he's real. a human being in the same world as the author who is writing the exact story about his life. <laughs> it's almost kind of like that movie, the crow or the Raven where, uh, John Cusack is playing Edgar Allan Poe and all of his murders are coming to life. It's kind of like that in a way, but there's not some serial killer who's making that shit happen. See, I was thinking more like the Truman show. Oh, that was the closer one that I got where... But everyone knew that his life was a movie. But or a he show, did. I should say. But it's, kind, did. it's kind of the inverse of the Truman Show where oh, yeah. everybody knows it's fake except the character. Whereas in this, the character is like, I'm a real person, but the author does is unaware of the fact that that's a real person that she just happens to be writing exactly about. That's what makes him so afraid of his imminent death. Yes. So, but anyway, um, when he finally meets her, she says, or he says, uh, yeah, he's a big fan of your work, or he loves your work, and she says, I love his letters, which is kind of cool that she she does acknowledge that she knows who he is also. When earlier on, too, like, she'd gotten a letter, she's like, I don't know why people write these, I don't write back. Right, I never write back to my letters. 
but it does show that she does appreciate um maybe certain people <laughs> yes who are worthy of her admiration anyway yes but um yeah let's talk about her a little bit uh what did you think of emma thompson's uh character and performance um i really i really liked uh that character because like it almost seemed like she was a very self-destructive person mm-hmm. um because uh queen latifah's character was constantly trying to get her to quit smoking to like just sit down and write the damn story mm-hmm. instead of being like the artsy like i need to go find my inspiration somewhere <laughs> right. um type of deal which uh and <clears throat> excuse me um just kind of hurt because she doesn't change much until the end of the movie like she's steadfastly in her way like and throughout like you know she's picturing like you know various ways people can die because she's trying to figure out how she's going to kill off harold crick in her book right at this point in the movie by the way she started writing the book 10 years prior and so now she's written pretty much all of the book except for the part where harold dies so that's why harold does here it's his imminent death is upon him (laughs) yeah because she's gotten to that part and she can't write any further than that because she doesn't know how to kill him. Was that what was implied? Like, I just thought, like, she had had this writer's block for about 10 years and that's why she hadn't really well, put in, anything out. In that uh, interview, mm-hmm. um, she's told that she hasn't written the book yet. She started writing the book. Right, because she's talking about it and then he said that interview was 10 years old. Right. Right. Damn, that's a hell of a writer's block. <laughs> well, that, I'm, that's what I'm saying. She ha- she's been writing it for ten years, and then yeah. who knows what she got to that point? It could have been two years in, could have been eight years in. Yeah. So, um, but no, and then like, I also thought it was interesting how like, um, when Harold finds out she's real. Like, mm-hmm. he recognizes her from the interview, and he's like, that's the narrator. That is who is narrating my life, right. for sure. Um, at which point, uh, Dustin Hoffman's character had uh, deduced that he was in a comedy, but then he's like, oh, she's writing it? You're fucked, because every <laughs> character she writes always dies. Right. Um, so, he's, you know panicking like trying to find a way to contact her and eventually finds her number through the irs when she got audited years earlier mm-hmm. um but i liked when he called and she typed like the phone rings and then her phone rang right and then she like types it again it rings again and then she waits a long time and types it again and it rings again right it really kind of that moment illustrates the rules of how this whole Call it magic, call it whatever you want, how it works. Which was very important for the ending. Right. When she started to type out that he died, but stopped halfway through the word. Like, she hadn't finished the fact that... Because, like, I think they did the same thing with the phone. She typed, like, it rang... Or it, like... She started to type it, Mm -hmm. nothing happened, and then she finished typing it. As soon as she finished typing rang, it happened. Right. And also the fact that, um... Well, she had, uh... Harold finally met her. Yes. And uh, he... She freaked the fuck out. Well, yes, she did. <laughs> and um, he was 
he said, so now that you know that I'm real, you're not going to write that I've died, right? And she's like, well, uh, uh, she kind of stammered. She was a little nervous. And then Harold's like, you haven't written it, right? And she's like, I said, I wrote an outline. And none, neither of them really knew what that meant. But at this point, having seen that uh, phone scene, the mm. audience would kind of know, well, obviously nothing's going to, nothing's set in stone because it hasn't happened yet. Because it hasn't been typed yet. Correct. But the fact that she wrote an outline, it, it's still possible that it could happen. And then, uh, so she didn't want him to see what she had, you know, decided. Well, it wasn't then, really that. It was just well, that I guess she, she then, was more so freaked out that this is at all possible anyway. Yeah. I mean, she said she's written eight other people, eight other books about characters that she's killed off now. So maybe even that's going through her mind in this moment or, that she's killed eight actual other people which they do address out. in the movie which is a good scene also <clears throat> when oh her freaking out about that or well, when she's laying on the, the desk yeah because she's like she's busted up all the shit in their like big ass empty room where she yeah. just types the book um she's flipped over her typewriter and her desk and now she's laying on another desk in the other room and she you know is waxing well, poetically to uh queen latifah's character about the other people she's killed saying the way she's done it she killed a uh a teacher the day before summer vacation <laughs> yeah. how cruel is that or she killed a construction worker with a heart attack in the middle of traffic mm -hmm. and she's trying to remember the lives those people lived and she's kind of putting herself through their lives seeing it through their eyes just how cruel she's been to other people which is a kind of cool parallelism to how self-destructive she is yep so she doesn't care about her life and not that she doesn't care about these people's lives but she writes these tragedies and when you have such a self-destructive life you see how it impacts the people around you the people you are quote-unquote close to which would be characters she's writing in her own books yeah and it and i think it also gives her yeah basically i mean yeah that was i think basically i was about to basically restate just about the same stuff that you did so well, maybe on. you can well, say it gracefully well i mean i was gonna say it's well going off of that like yeah she's self-destructive but now is the first time she's reflecting on that self-destruction similar to how harold i mean in a very different way was living a self-destructive life because it just wasn't going anywhere it was he was spinning his wheels but he didn't care right he just was like floating through his days and that was it mm -hmm. and in a sense that's self-destructive where then you have uh uh karen eiffel on the other end kind of doing whatever she wants and you know she's working the career that she wants to she's doing the things that she wants to and she's writing these books that mean a lot to her but like it's also not it doesn't seem to necessarily be bringing her happiness as well either writing these tragedies right and now that she's reflecting on the fact that maybe i've actually killed people with these tragedies mm -hmm. like eight other actual human beings since harold crick was real what's keeping those other eight people from having been real right and so she's reflecting on is this the kind of life that she wants to continue to lead right right and i didn't pick up on that until recently either the last few times i've seen it where i actually start to really analyze her character development in the movie yeah because I kind of just think of her as the author of the story, but she's not. She's still a character in this movie overall. Yeah. <laughs> she's not some omniscient character. Right. And I don't know if uh, 
that might be an interesting thing for other people who have seen this movie. I'm curious if they kind of thought of it as the same way at first, but to be fair, I also saw this movie when I was 14 for the first time, mm-hmm. so I didn't necessarily grasp all the existential stuff and all of like the life lessons in it. I just kind of liked it for the story and I maybe some other reasons that I didn't understand why. Yeah. But I've always enjoyed this movie. And then having watched it many, many times, uh, sometimes years between each viewing, it's like, oh, I didn't pick up on that. Or I didn't even think of that before. Because, you know, you stupid when you're 14. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty accurate. And you think everything's dramatic, so anything semi-dramatic is interesting to you. That's yes. probably why the Twilight movies did so good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know what? We talked before the podcast about how we have a hard time extending these bad boys. We got 51 minutes out of that. See? It's just... I don't know. Sometimes you need something with a tad bit more substance. Like, what we do in the shadows is great. There's not a whole lot of substance to it to talk about. <laughs> like, it's... Hey, Taika Waititi would not <laughs> tolerate that statement, but... I mean, I don't know. I just... I Well, I think comparatively, I don't think... What We Do in the Shadows has as much to say as, like, this movie does. Mm-hmm. I love What We Do in the Shadows, and I'm not saying every movie needs to have that much to say. Right. I'm saying, comparatively, this has more to say about the human condition than What We Do in the Shadows, which is supposed to be making fun of vampires. Right. And to be honest, like, the message, it's not shallow, but it's something you hear a lot. It's like, live the life you want to live. But yeah. they tell that, like, they give you that lesson in a very interesting yeah. And fun, creative type of way. Yes. It's not just like a self-help book that solves the person's problem or whatever. It's not one of those where it's like, oh, you have some terminal disease. And it's like, fuck, I wasted my life. <laughs> it was like, it, it, it's he realized that, it, like you said, in a more unique way. It's, it's basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. He got the news that he's going to die. Right. But... You know, how that happened and, and how the, he goes about solving that. Right. And then, like, the use of literature to solve it also is yeah. is really neat. Or, so, like, it plays off that trope, but in such an interesting way that it's like, okay, I haven't seen this before. Hmm. Um, now, let's talk about the way she does right the end of the book. Yes. So, one day, Karen Eiffel, through happenstance she's out at a local market buying cigarettes and she sees a guy spill a bunch of apples onto the street all of a sudden the idea comes to her on how to kill harold crick she's not met him at this point important note about the apples yes is throughout the beginning he like harold eats apples like throughout the beginning as part of like his daily routine he's always running late to the bus with an apple in his mouth right um and then moving on Right, so that's kind of what really ties it in for her when she sees these apples roll into the street and stuff. Now, so she gets the idea one day. She knows how to kill him. She's written the outline on the bus. Mm-hmm. And uh, around that time is when Harold notices, like, or Harold uh, discovers that she's his author. And mm-hmm. he, uh, through use of his um, IRS agent resources finds her address because she's kind of a recluse but Mm -hmm. he does realize she must be in town for her to know all the bus schedules and stuff like that and his environment yeah so 
he uses that knowledge to track her down and he finally meets her um he then finds out that she has written the outline for his death and uh you know she gives him a copy of it to read for himself Mm -hmm. and he can't really bring himself to read it so he hands it off to um professor hilbert to read just because you know it's too freaky for him and then uh professor hilbert reads it and he tells harold that he has to die (laughs) yeah this is the most important book she's ever written uh no other death that he could have will be nearly as meaningful or as important for himself even because uh he brings up the fact listen you could die 20 years from now, but it could be choking on a mint. It could be, you know, an airplane explodes, whatever. That's yeah. not the example he uses. But it, it would be something really, for lack of a better word, lame. But this would be so meaningful and so... Poetic. Poetic, what yes. That's what he says. Um, and that's kind of a really interesting point. Because after that, Harold does take the time to read the book and uh he stays on the bus yeah for like 12 hours he reads this ginormous book it's like three inches thick of standard computer paper i was gonna say you've got a copy of it there it was probably about that thick yeah probably yeah so stephen king's it it was about that long (laughs) right hundreds of pages he reads in one ride on the bus um he then meets up with karen eiffel who tries to tell him, look, I'll change it. But he says, listen, your book is amazing. I love it. I really like the part about the guitars. <laughs> um, I think you should write your book the way it is. Which I think is a really interesting moment. And I think it's almost, um, you know, I think Harold kind of finally sees his life that, oh, I've made this life change. I've now done good by my life as seen in this book anyway. And that now he sees obligation to end his life, not because it's just a way for him to die, but because there's someone else's life at stake in this story. Yeah. Because now life means more to him, which is why he would sacrifice himself for a child. Yes. Which, Which spoiler alert, the (laughs) end of the movie takes, (laughs) the end of the movie happens where he's back on his schedule but because his clock shut down, or his clock, Jesus Christ, his, his, his wristwatch, his wristwatch shuts down earlier in the movie. When he asked someone the time, they gave him a time that was uh, three few, minutes, three minutes off. Yep, three minutes faster than his watch. Right. So he arrives at his normal bus stop that he always early. takes for work early. So he's there in time for when the bus pulls up to almost hit a kid who's fallen off his bike in the middle of the street. And, and Harold has enough time to get in front of the bus, pull the kid out of the way, and then the bus hits him, and that's how Harold dies. Now, the bus driver and the kid that we mentioned earlier in the podcast and didn't bring up again, <laughs> same way they do it in the movie. Those two. Right. <laughs> She's driving the bus that kills Harold Crick, and the kid falls off his bike in front of the bus. By the way, this kid's a fucking dick. He, first of all, rides in the stream of the water, which gets water splashed on that lady's legs, so she loses the typist job. Yep. And then she has to become a bus driver, and that kid jumps off the... This is in a daydream. He jumps off the curb in front of the bus, which pushes Karen Eiffel off the road into the water, which only happened in a daydream. And the kid just keeps on riding. Right. 
with no regards to anyone else. He doesn't install any rear view mirrors on the bike handles. He should have heard that car crash behind him. <laughs> that did not happen. It didn't happen. But um, uh, geez, and then he gets a kid, and then he gets a guy hit by a bus. <laughs> right. That that kid's dad needs to take his bike away from him. Right. He he's gifted the bike at the <clears> beginning <throat> of the movie, but he should be grounded. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Or arrested, possibly. <laughs> um, it's a menace to society. So, a question that Dylan asked me when I did his podcast that I thought was interesting was... Um, oh, by the way, the actual ending of the movie is that when Karen is about to write that And So It Was, Harold Crick Was Dead, she stops at Harold Crick Was Dead, and she doesn't finish the AD period because she can't bring herself to really kill Harold. So, she instead... She Right, because she knows him. And she knows that he was willing, willing to face his own death in order for her to write a, an amazing book and also to save a kid's life. Which he doesn't strictly say because it's a cool reveal for the end of the movie. Yes. However, she decides not to do it because she can't bring herself to do it. And she instead writes that um, when Harold was hit, that a piece of his wristwatch, a metal piece of his wristwatch, got embedded into his wrist which actually stopped his artery from bleeding out. So it gave him just enough time for the um, doctors to patch him up and stop the blood leakage. Yep. Which is also a cool poetic way to end the movie. Yes. Now, how would you have ended the movie? Do you like that way? Or do you think the movie would have been just as good, if not better, if he actually would have died? I think it could have gone either way and I would have been satisfied with either ending. Really? Yes. Even if there was no wrap-up with Anna or anything like that? Because we were told that, you know... Well, for one, we're expecting it the whole movie. It's like, how is he supposed to die? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think it would have worked either way. There, We would have seen Anna probably at his funeral. Right. Um, probably would have seen uh, Karen Eiffel, Professor Hilbert. They all would have been there. Oh, well, maybe not Professor Hilbert. I was just going to say, he's kind of a, he's he's kind of a of, little bit of a removed, reserved dick, but he might care enough to show up. Maybe. He, he might send flowers. He probably wouldn't show up. 50-50 for Professor Hilbert, but I think Karen <laughs> Eiffel would have been there. Um, <clears throat> Maggie Gyllenhaal would have been there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you would have gotten closure there. So I think you would have gotten the wrap up for that as well, right? Um, but yeah, because we were told it's like this isn't you know this is important. This is this book will be fantastic and amazing if it's written this way. And because he was willing to let that happen, mm-hmm. not not in a like a suicidal way, but like you mentioned a earlier, sacrificial in a in a sacrificial way. He's like I understand, you know, I understand what a good life is now Hmm. what it means to live your life yeah and this book you know this is your life is writing these books Mm. so and he didn't want to take that from her so i could have seen it ending either direction i would have been it would have been acceptable for me either way right and talking about how big this book would have possibly been for her career Mm. Since it took her 10 years to write it and she had such a hard time trying to figure out a way to kill off Harold, Mm. it kind of also informs that, and then also with uh, Professor Hilbert saying how important this book is, Yeah, it kind of does inform just how interesting Harold's transition from the boring and mundane into someone who enjoys life is. It's a good message for people to like 
not just live your life by any means, but to live your life by means that make you happy. Yes. So that's the important message that it brings to you. So I think that's kind of an interesting thing also that it's taken her 10 years to write such a specific and more so interesting and in-depth look into oneself type of book. Yeah. And then to also kill someone who's done all that. To kill someone who's realized the virtues of being alive and it still be a good book. It, it would be really hard to do. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, um... Well, and I, li- I kind of like to think, too, that, I mean, obviously everything up to that point. Well, no, no, no. Um, I like to think that the entire movie is the book. And the reason I say that is, like, obviously you notice she narrates only specific sections. Correct. Like, Harold Crick goes about his life without it being narrated at points. Mm-hmm. So I like to end. But at the end, um, Karen Eiffel mentions that. You know, she changed the ending. He doesn't die. All that stuff. And then she's like, I'm, you know, I'm sending it back to my publishers. I'm going to take time to change it so that everything flows and fits wherein he wouldn't die. Right. So to me, like the whole movie, including him meeting her and like him freaking out at the voice in the heavens. Oh, you think that's part of her in the book? Oh, okay. That's interesting. That was kind of how I interpreted the end is we're watching the final product. This is what this is the book that she sent off to the, finally be published. And yes. Stuff. Okay, that's an interesting thought. So you think she wrote in the fact that Harold found whoever was writing his story? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't think about that necessarily. But typically whenever there's like a book at the end of something and they're like, oh, this is the, you know, this and it's been important. Like for this or like with, uh, and they kind of do it in like the, uh, not the Hobbit, uh, Lord of the, yeah, the, it's Lord the of Hobbit, the Rings. Where well, Bilbo at the comes end of, back and writes the Hobbit. At the end of Lord of the Rings, when uh, Sam picks up the Hobbit and adds and the Lord of the Rings and he like, Sam's the one who writes what happened from oh, okay. Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. So like to me that's He'd like. He'd be a horrible author for Lord of the Rings. It's only through his perspective. He was with Frodo the whole fucking time. <laughs> Anyways, sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, so to me, that's that sort of a thing. It's like when something like the book of it's like, here's, you know, this book mm-hmm. that's very similar to what we did right. comes out. It's like to me that that book is what we're watching. Okay. That's an interesting thought. I never really thought of it that way so much. It's just so much of they're writing their version of events yeah for whoever they interact with from that point on at that movie Mm -hmm. but that's that's a neat thought especially with this movie specifically because there are some moments in the movie where you're like why was that written in there like the whole um when harold is looking for karen eiffel you hear her narrating him looking for karen eiffel yeah because he's saying or she's saying rather that uh, he's looking for payphones, and there's a guy at the payphone determined to find his daughter in Florida, whatever. But he remembers that there was a set of payphones in the subway, and one was gross, and one didn't work. And then she finally, he finally found the one that worked, and then the phone rang. Well, and that's what. Well, and that's why. So, but I'm saying that's kind of a weird plot hole. Why was she writing that in the first place? However, if it's part of the rewrite to how. He's not going to die. 
that kind of makes sense in that regard. Well, and then it also somewhat explains kind of the the magical, quote-unquote, parts of it. Like her typing in, the phone rang, and then it rings. And then her typing it again, instead of the regular pace for a phone ringing. Right, right, right. It's dependent on her typing that on the typewriter. Correct. So that kind of also explains that sort of a thing, too. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it... It's definitely an interesting movie, and it's definitely worth a few watches. Not mm. to say like it's not good enough where you won't understand it the first time. Just it makes sense. It be yeah, the whole movie makes sense the first time you watch it. It just becomes more in depth and interesting with several watches. It's like a fine wine, Jonathan. You will yeah, it's the sort of thing where you pick up the smaller details the more you watch right. it, and it starts to inform even more about the characters and even more about the story and even more about the literary devices that they use in the movie yeah so yeah i, I really enjoyed this one this was it's a good fucking movie this, this was an excellent suggestion <laughs> yeah uh probably up there is one of the most interesting ones we've watched for for this podcast oh really i think yeah mm. where would you rate it on uh movies you've seen overall top 100 <sighs> Fuck, man, I don't know. <laughs> like anyone can list 100 movies they've seen. I mean, here's the thing. I can I can knock out a fifth of that list just using Marvel movies, so. Yeah, that's true. Jesus Christ. Um, but uh, So here's... No, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, so how about we do it this way? On a scale of 1 to 10 from fuck this movie or... You I'd give it an you 8. You see this movie right now, what would you put it at? I'd give it an 8. An 8? Yes. Wow, that's higher than I thought you'd give it. No, yeah, I'd give it an 8. Nice. Yeah, I. that's awesome. <laughs> I'm just happy with that rating. I, I'm happy that when I tell people about this movie that other people enjoy it mm. and that it's not just some kind of like, oh, you like this romantic comedy even though it's not really romantic comedy. Yeah, but, this is not a rom-com. Right. But I'm glad it's not that type of movie. Like, you like that type of thing or whatever. Everybody like. Let people like what they like. <laughs> that's That's kind of my opinion. So, what do you think about the movie Avatar, then? <laughs> you can like it. I dislike it intensely. Is it also, intrinsically bad? Yeah, I think so. You think so. Yeah. Thank you. And you think it's not. I just think it's not Here's horrible. the thing. Here's the thing. Good and bad are opinions. Ah, there it is. All right. Just wanted to, Sorry. <laughs> just wanted to make you say that Avatar has the potential to be good in someone else's eyes. Yeah, no, absolutely. They're wrong, but... <laughs> No, as as uh, I tweeted out last night about the Game of Thrones finale, which I enjoyed, but you know, was that the actual finale? Finale. The show was done last night. Oh, okay. Um, I'm behind two seasons. I'll rewatch them. I wanted to be able to binge it all though. So um, I tweeted first that I enjoyed the episode, and then a little while later, because uh, I made the mistake of continuing to be on Twitter and seeing everybody shit all over the episode in this entire <laughs> season. Um, I'm you know and. There would be people who would say, like, you know, they enjoyed it, and then they'd get shouted down by people who hated it. Mm. It's like, just, you know, you got it's just a TV show, or it's mm. just a movie. Right. Let people like the shit that they like, and let people dislike the shit they dislike. Mm. Just don't be dicks about it. Just let people have different opinions and different tastes. Mm. I liked this season of Game of Thrones. I thought the ending was good. Mm-hmm. I liked Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. So, you know, like... <laughs> Now, where do you sit politically, John? 
<laughs> let's let's add an hour and ten minutes. Bring politics into this. I mean, do you want my opinion of our current president? No, let's not worry no? about that okay. right now. <laughs> you don't want to do. You don't want to bring this up. I want your opinion on the people who voted for him, John. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> are people really entitled to their own opinion in your eyes? What do you think? People are entitled to their opinion. Let's their opinion might be stupid, but they're <laughs> entitled to their opinion. <laughs> All right, don't worry. We're not getting into politics. Um, you can have the opinion that, like, I don't fucking know. Rhubarb is terrible. It's a stupid opinion, but you're allowed <laughs> to have it. Um, Sorry, you had the rhubarb shit no, out there, fine. so that's, that was brownies. the brownies. They're the jam. They're, they're very tasty. <laughs> uh, I love rhubarb. That's what. That's all I'm going to say is I love rhubarb. You know, there are many political podcasts. There are many movie podcasts. We could be the first political movie podcast. Not talking about movies involving politics. However, we could be a movie or a podcast talking about movies that cycle into <laughs> politics for the last five or ten minutes. Of well, this next week's podcast, we're going to talk about Stranger Things and Alabama's abortion laws. <laughs> no, let's not get into that. <laughs> let's get into Georgia's abortion laws. That actually has to do with movies because almost every movie now is filmed in Georgia. I mean, yeah, if we want to somehow find the intersection between politics and movies, yes, we can talk about Georgia's abortion laws. <laughs> They're um, bad. They're very bad. That was so a, are Alabama's. <laughs> that was a goofy uh, argument on Facebook. I follow this page called Movie Set Memes. Okay. And someone posted a meme about the um, abortion laws. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of people were getting upset in the comments like, Jesus Christ, can we not have politics involved here? This is supposed to be about movies. Someone said, almost all movies are filmed in Georgia, so doesn't it matter? <laughs> it's like, yeah, but none of those people live in Georgia. They live in L.A. and then fly out to Georgia to film for six months. But just the idea but, that they're talking about politics on a movie set page is stupid. Well, so let's not talk about politics on a movie podcast. Okay. No, I'm, I'm not that know. I'm right side or left side, whatever. I tend to lean more democratic, but some of the overly yeah, th- liberal stuff can be a little ridiculous to me. I'm not even talking about abortion right now. I'm just talking generalized. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I've talked myself into a hole. I don't know how to get out. I John, mean, no, it's, me. it's real easy. You just cut all this shit out. <laughs> Nah, I'll leave it. <laughs> Anyways. Um, I'll let Alabama, people inform Georgia, their opinions about me, John. Alabama, Georgia, knock it the fuck off. <laughs> and if you would love to talk politics, please go to John's uh, Twitter page, at Rosendoom2. Please don't do that. <laughs> I'll have to make a new Twitter, and I don't really want to do that. <laughs> well, then you'd have to make it just at Rosendoom, and who would even follow that page? <laughs> yeah. Or, I mean, or I'll just start blocking people. I guess that works too. It's like, and blocked, and blocked, and blocked. Hey, I've looked at our Instagram and Twitter. We have like maybe 10 Ten followers. followers for the podcast, yeah. My friend Jordan has his podcast that he's only recorded two episodes, hasn't released it, has 40 fucking followers on Instagram. So if, uh, Jordan, (laughs) if you're listening to this, please redirect some of that our way. Right. Could you plug us, please, in the first episode or two? Um... No, uh, but that is the friend who we may have on for the Godfather podcast soon. Yep. Uh, at some point soon. At some point, yeah. Uh, it could be literally whenever. We don't fucking know. Is he, is he, in, is he uh, in town? No, he's still living in Chicago, but it's summer vacation and he's graduated now. I don't know when his lease is up. I don't know mm. if he's coming back home. I don't know if he's staying in Chicago. I'm not sure yet. So Well, we just have to get in contact with him. But right. now for the most important part, what movie are we doing next week? Yeah. I'm, hey, buddy, I'm looking it up, okay? I Don't know, you yell at me. That's why I mentioned it into the microphone, because funny fact, this is not a video podcast. Oh, yeah. 
Um, <laughs> okay. So what what kind of movie are we feeling for next week? Next week. Geek, 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 geek. Uh, let's see. We did Men in Black. We've done Stranger Than Fiction. Well, let me pull up the uh, the list here. Oh, by the way, you know what I just noticed is interesting? The title of this movie, it knows to put the period at the end of fiction. Because the period is what defines whether or not something happens in Harold's life. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. Almost no movie title has a period at the end of it. I can name one Neat. with an exclamation point. Airplane? Mother. Oh, yeah. Also airplane. Is that an exclamation point or is it like exclamation point question mark? I think it's just an exclamation point. Okay. Airplane's a good one. You want Airpl- to do that one? I've seen airplane. <laughs> um, can we take the Barney movie off of there? We're not going to watch it. We <laughs> might watch it. That's a movie I've seen that you haven't. And it could be an interesting talk. Might only be a 10 minute podcast. <laughs> That'll be a bonus episode. How about that? A bonus episode, real brief one. We'll do that next. We'll do that one next Easter. How about that? Because the whole point of it's this rainbow egg. Okay, uh, putting a pin in this. Next Easter, look out for our the Barney movie, Magic Egg. It's not called the Magic Egg. I can't remember what it's called, but it's a Barney movie where they have an egg. If anyone knows what I'm talking about, you really fucking know what I'm talking about because you'll probably remember the movie. Um you've got cubanos there next to chef you just want a cubano you just want roast pork and ham sandwich <laughs> was i the one who put that on there because i don't think that was me you're the one typing out the list i don't know we, we we're sitting next to each other writing this <laughs> that's true i mean i'd be cool eating cubanos while we're uh, <laughs> while we talk about <laughs> it might make an irritating podcast but um do you want to do chef no, no, not really. Do you want to go old school? The this the last couple movies were within the nineties and two thousands. Do you want to go back? The last three 50 movies years? were. What was the one we did before? Men in Black, Black. Uh, What We Do in the Shadows, and Stranger oh, yeah, Than Fiction. About what we do in the shadows? How I just mentioned it. Uh, do you want to do Planet of the Apes? Will you ever want to do Planet of the Apes? I, I will eventually. It's just I don't know. That's. It's not jumping out of me, and that's that's. Fun fact is a lot of why I'm having I have had difficulties with watching a lot of these movies. Uh huh. Like especially the ones where I'm like, yeah, I just never got around to it. It's like I'd like scroll through and I'd just be like, eh. and then I just keep <laughs> it's going. Not grabbing me. <laughs> yeah, like it's it, it's weird. I have a harder time watching movies at home. Mm-hmm. Like I'm happy to go out to the theater. Like I'm dedicating this time. Spend three thousand dollars. Going to each movie three times. Look, I'll be honest. I don't really want to like look back at how much money I've spent at movie theaters. It's too much. It is too much. But <laughs> I love the experience, and I think it's worth every cent. Especially since you don't have AMC A list, which for twenty dollars a month you can go see three movies a week for free. Please sponsor us, AMC. Um, Just please give John a fucking free account. <laughs> He's spending too much. <laughs> Realistically, I mean, I was gonna sign up for that, and they're like. You just decided you wanted to spend more money? No, no, no. I was going to sign up for it. Right. And uh, it, when they were advertising it, they would always be like, and ask somebody how you can get credit for this movie. And so I went and asked, and they're like, well, you don't get reimbursed for the movie. I'm like, then what the hell do you mean get credit for the movie? <laughs> how do I do this? Is it like some off of the 20 bucks? No, like, see, you have to run out of the theater right then and there before the movie actually starts. Then you can get oh, credit it's for like, the movie. Hey, hey, wait, wait, hold on. I haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> wait, did they like kind of start the audio while they were bringing up the production companies? Because that counts as the movie, okay? Fuck! <laughs> um, no, I, I'll, I'll get one eventually. 
Oh, uh, do you have one? I had it for a while. But did I it charge it so you? I could pay did it for charge that. you for the whole year? Right off. No, the top? no, no. It charged. Okay, it doesn't charge you like a sum amount right away. Okay. But you have to stay in it for three months. Okay. So did it? So it charges you the twenty bucks a month. Right. But you're okay because I was concerned the way it was laid out to me, which is part of the reason I didn't get it, was I had to pay for a year up front. No, no, no. That's what it looked like to me. Your ob- but- your if you sign up for it. You're set in for three months. So okay. it's going to cost you $60 no matter what, but over three months. And then after that, you can quit anytime you want. Okay. I'm, these are just choices I make. I can quit whenever I want. Correct. <laughs> God, no, I should really... Pro- Here's the thing. What's Molly's the thing, John? M- Molly needs to get one of her own because otherwise... Yeah, that was the one thing. I had to pay for Kate's move ticket then when we'd go. I'm like, God well, I mean, damn here's it. the thing. You could theoretically, couldn't you get two for that movie? It's like me and this other person? No, they actually don't let you do that, which is interesting. Hmm. So you can only... Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't yeah. even only get one too. Hmm. You could just, I guess, get a ticket for another movie at the exact same time. And then just not go into that movie. Fine, what's the closest movie with? you've got near this? Give me one of those. <laughs> We're both going to see the same movie. <laughs> I mean, they wouldn't fucking know. Yeah, actually, that's kind of interesting. I might sign back up for that <laughs> shit. And if also, you work at AMC, please stop listening about five minutes ago. For anyone who uh, wants to get away with saving a few bucks, if you just buy your tickets on the app, you can say you're a child and then get the cheaper ticket and then just get your ticket at the kiosk where you don't have to actually talk to anyone and then just you'll have your ticket. You don't even have to rip off your stubs. I don't even do it because I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> but you could fucking do it. Yeah, you could. You could. Or say you're a senior. It's actually cheaper for a child. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> My poor mother one time went... What the fuck did she go to see? She went and saw uh, Christopher Robin, the new Winnie the Pooh movie with Ewan McGregor. I thought you were about to say with you. I was like, I didn't go. <laughs> Sorry. And uh, she went to buy a ticket... Without even asking her anything. She didn't ask about it. She just went to buy a ticket. The person charged for the senior ticket. <laughs> I'd rather that, actually. I wish someone would have done that for me. Oh. I might just go... I might just fucking put some crow's feet on my eyes, add a couple <laughs> wrinkles, bring in a walker. Do the... Uh, I'll just look like uh, Carl from Up. <laughs> yeah, no, you'd probably look closer to him, yeah. I was going to say, say do the Captain America makeup at the, at the end of oh, yeah. Endgame. Spoiler alert, but... Fuck you guys, that ban- the spoiler ban got lifted, so. <laughs> um, Captain America gets old, Iron Man dies. <laughs> he dies for now. He'll be back. No, no, our, Robert Downey Jr. was was done with it. They, both of them Mysterio been, just made it an illusion. Both of them have been talking about being done since, like, before Age of Ultron. Yeah. So, the fact that they stuck out this long is fucking fantastic. Well, I mean, it's not just fantastic, it was written in their contract. Well, no, because I think they re-upped around Age of Ultron. Because I remember, oh, yeah, I remember them talking. The last time we're re-upping, yeah, pretty much. And then they stuck around. Endgame ended beautifully. I loved Endgame. I need this to pay oh. off my private jet. I'm signing up for three more movies. <laughs> I mean, come on, fucking the first Avengers movie paid off all of their private jets if they wanted them. Probably Robert Downey Jr. was probably fine after the Shaggy fucking dog, which came out before Iron Man. Was he? He's the villain in Shaggy Dog. Oh, I know. The Tim Allen Shaggy Dog. Yeah. Not the 1970s Shaggy DA or anything. Yeah. Funny, uh, uh, f- or not funny, fun fact about the original Iron Man, uh, Terrence Howard was the highest paid actor on that one, and he didn't appear again. Yeah. <laughs> now he's he the wanted... lowest paid actor in the MCU. Because he wanted more money. Right. If Same he had with just... Edward Norton. 
Yes. And they Turns didn't realize. He's a bit of a dick. And uh, fun fact, Disney didn't. Well, at that point, they weren't even Disney, but the MCU was just like, nah. And it was still basically that was two movies, the first two movies, and they're like, nah, we're not going to pay you guys more for this. We'll get somebody else. Right. Well, because they could find anyone else. They weren't like but the will, crazy high-profile movies that they are now. That's true. You can't like at this point. You can't like take fucking Sebastian Stan out and recast him and <laughs> right. be like who the fuck is this guy we're pretty early on we don't have a ton of money so go fuck yourself you're <laughs> out of here yeah go work on Empire I mean that's going well for Terrence Howard so it's not going well for Jesse Smollett I'll well, tell you that he, he kind of did that to himself <laughs> whereas I mean you could see it that way for Terrence Howard in Iron Man 1 he was like well he did that to himself but then he got Empire so I think you know he's okay I've heard Terrence Howard is a Fucking asshole on set, though. I have no idea. Did you hear he's trying to come up with his own math system, though? All right. Uh, <laughs> um, so what are we going to do next week, John? <laughs> yeah, back Let's to... wrap this up. We've been rambling quite a bit. Uh, shit, man. I don't know. What uh, What sounds good to you? Jiro Dreams of Sushi? No. We could do... Uh, you know, we could do Friday the 13th. We could. Right, well, Fun. is it summer enough yet? It's only the end of May. It's Mid-May. still cold outside. It's like, cold. It was like 50-something. We live in the Midwest, everyone. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we live in Illinois. What of it? Um, yeah, we were right there in the middle of that polar vortex when it hit negative 50. <laughs> uh, all right. Why don't we just leave it open-ended for the podcast's sake? We'll figure it out. I'll contact Jordan maybe tonight, and yes. then we can see if maybe we can get... Um, if he wants to come in next Monday. What you calls it? Uh, the Godfather. Godfather. Um, maybe I can even contact Dylan and we can do Reservoir Dogs. We could contact Race and we could do Battleship. Yeah. I don't know about that one, but we'll see. <laughs> I'll talk to all three of those people tonight and start setting up a schedule. How about that? That sounds good. All right, so you're either going um, Battleship, Godfather, Reservoir Dogs, or whatever fucking movie we come up with. Here's the thing. Think of one. Those three that we mentioned, out of those three, I only don't own one of them. And it's Battleship. <laughs> and it's Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> No, my brother got me, my brother, Nick, you know who yeah. my brother is, yeah. um, he was our guest on the Mortal Kombat Annihilation episode. Yeah, that was like my least favorite episode, it just didn't flow well for some reason. Probably Nick. Oh. <laughs> no, hey, around. please keep listening, Nick, you're our only <laughs> listener. And, 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 Andrew. Yeah. Um, but, uh, shit, uh, no, he got me the, uh, the Quentin Tarantino, oh, the 20 years set? of Tarantino, like, blu-ray box set that had everything up through inglorious bastards and then i got django unchained and uh hateful eight on blu-ray as well that's kind of crazy that he got you like that he would have a box set already made before he was done making his eight films it was 20 years of tarantino it was it was his 20th anniversary not it seems silly to do that when you this guy's been saying, I'm going to make eight films and I'm fucking out. No, no, no. He's or been ten. saying ten. Oh, ten. But still, isn't that kind of weird? Dude, he, Hateful like Eight was his eighth film and he's got out, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood coming out point. later this year. <laughs> yeah, but no, they did. I mean, he's not the one who puts the box sets together. I know, but still. You'd think a, a marketing team would be like, wait, he's making ten movies. We, I guess they're just trying to take advantage of whatever he got. Well, here's the thing. When he hits that ten movie mark, and he actually stops, there you go. Now, what they should have done was what the Bond movie set did, where it had a space in there for when 
uh, Spectre came out that you could add it to the... Oh, really? They extended yeah. the box and then you yeah, could just so you slide could, it in? So you could add uh, Spectre when it came out. That's fucking hilarious. Uh, Spectre, by the way, garbage. That was the one with Christoph Waltz? Yes. I saw what, that one. And Batista. What a fucking waste of Christoph Waltz's time. <laughs> I saw that movie without seeing any of the other um, Daniel Craig Bond movies. Then, well, what did you think of Spectre? Let's just... Shung right along Welcome into the, the next Spectre part. podcast, everyone. Late to the show. Um, no. This is a Fine, special. I, <laughs> I didn't really know. I wasn't paying close attention. Uh, see, now if you watch uh, uh, Casino Royale, is great. Quantum Souls is garbage. Uh, Skyfall is amazing. Uh, Spectre sucks. And the, my biggest gripe with Spectre, and they did it with Star Trek Into Darkness as well, when they're like, and all the press tours and everything, people were like, oh, Benedict Cumberbatch is Khan. Oh, Christoph Waltz is Blofeld. And both of them were like, no, we're totally new original characters. And then halfway through the movie, he's fucking Khan and he's fucking Blofeld. It's like, why? why? You pretend? <laughs> all right. Well, that's the end of the podcast, everyone. <laughs> On that note, we're going to jump out of here. Yes. We've talked about too many other movies. We actually hit a substantial amount of time on just our movie. Yeah. For the week. And then we riffed for and half an hour. bullshitted for half an hour making this. Whew, it's almost the longest podcast we've it's, done. This is a meeting one. I think one. we did an hour and 32 minutes maybe. Was our longest th- one? Yeah, I think that was Mortal, the first Mortal Kombat one. This one's an hour and 28 minutes. Well, do you want to set the new record? We could sit here and riff for four more minutes or? It just wouldn't be natural. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, at that point when you, when you call it out like that. So uh, follow the podcast on Twitter at LTTS Podcast. On Instagram at Late to the Podcast. I'm at Rosendoom2. I'm at Jake underscore Lavoy. Don't forget that underscore, folks. And, yeah. All right. Peace out, fellas. Uh, We'll be back next week. Don't be late.